Are you looking to improve employee engagement and retention? Do you struggle with decisions on who to hire or who to promote? I have an amazing opportunity for a forward-thinking, purpose-led, people-first organisation to work with me on the first pilot Happier at Work programme for corporates. The programme is entirely science-backed and you will have tangible outcomes in relation to employee engagement, retention, performance and productivity. The programme is aimed at people leaders with responsibility for hiring and promotion decisions. If this sounds like you, please get in touch at Aoife at happieratwork.ie. That's A-O-I-F-E at happieratwork.ie. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. That's really the impact. Once you create that open listening environment, you get stories that that come up that are really specific, really unique and universal. That's kind of the, the magic of it, I feel. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted to have you tuning in today. My guest today is Jerome DeRoy and Jerome knows the power that stories have to share culture viscerally in an engaging and lasting way. He is the CEO of Narrative, which helps companies leverage personal storytelling for business. He teaches companies how to find, craft and tell stories that resonate through a repeatable and scalable method. Narrative offers listening and storytelling training programs, one-on-one coaching and virtual workshops for sales, team building, leadership development and onboarding. Now we have a really interesting discussion about the power of storytelling in business. We talk about the importance of listening and actually spend a good bit of time talking about this idea of listening and how to create safe environments where people are listening to each other. What gets in the way of us listening to each other as well? Towards the end, we touch on this idea of values and the importance of values and how to tell stories around that and where our stories actually come from and how to use stories to really connect with people. We use this specific example of onboarding, which I know is a huge challenge at the moment with remote and hybrid, how to actually onboard someone properly. And I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you have experiences of both good and bad onboarding experiences wherever you're working. So do stay tuned till the end. I, As always, I do a synopsis of the key points that were taken from our discussion and what actions you can take as a result. And what can you implement immediately? Do get involved in the conversation. I always post on social media. So you'll find me on Instagram, happieratwork.ie or LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien. That's A-O-I-F-E-O-F-P-O-S-T-R-I-E-N. You can also head over to the Happier at Work website. That's happieratwork.ie. Connect with me that way as well. You can send me a direct message through there. And I would love to hear what you think of today's episode. Welcome, Jerome, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and how you got into doing what you're doing today? 
Sure. Thank you so much for for having me. It's great to be here. Um, yes. So I can definitely introduce myself. Um, well, so yeah, it's it's Jerome DeRoy, and uh, I uh, I run a company called uh, Narrative Inc., which is based in the U.S. Uh, we have a couple of colleagues in uh, in London that also do the, this work, um, and a few people a little bit all over the world, really. Um, and and uh, w- you know. Who I am? I, I grew up in um, in France. Actually, my my father's French, my mother's American, uh, with some roots in Ireland and other places. Um, and uh, and so I so there's an affinity there for sure. Uh, but really, where my story begins uh, is probably when I went to Hong Kong uh, right out of business school. Uh, I had uh, been doing an internship in Paris as part of a the business school that I was uh, at, which was based in Paris. And at the end of that internship, uh, there was, I, I learned of an opportunity in Hong Kong uh, for a 16 month contract. And uh, I jumped on the opportunity and uh, got the, got the contract. And so this was really my first real job uh, out of business school. And I got there uh, and I think it was 19, actually, I know that it was 1999. Uh, and because the, the two thousand, the year two thousand was about to uh, to arrive, and there was lots of trepidation Y2K, around around that Y two K. Exactly, cast their minds back that far. <laughs> I know, right? The, those were the kinds of things we worried about at the time, right? It yeah. seems almost quaint now. I know. <laughs> and yeah. so, so yes, so Y two K was on the horizon, and I arrived about three weeks really before uh, you, you know before New Year's, and uh, and I had never been even to Asia before, so this was all new for me. And I got to the to the fifteenth floor of this glass tower building that was overlooking the Hong Kong Harbor, with really kind of butterflies and my heart beating a little mm. bit faster, and uh, jumping a little bit in place. And I got to the door, the main the main lobby, and uh, this uh, person uh, welcomed me and said, uh, "Welcome to BNP Paribas." That was the name of the company, and yeah, uh, yeah. and she said. Uh, you know, I'm the HR director. I'm going to show you where you're working, et cetera, and show you the ropes, essentially. And so she said, then actually your your office, your desk is going to be in this office space. And it was a big open space, and I could see it through this glass door. And she said, but we're not going there today. And so we moved, and I followed her through a hallway that got darker and darker and darker with less and less light and less and less <laughs> view as yeah. we were going along until finally... We arrived into a um, room that only had one table and two chairs, and there were two big binders on that table. And she said, "That's the compliance binder, and that's the employee engagement handbook. I'd like for employee handbook. Sorry, I'd like for you to read those two uh, in the next forty-eight hours." So that's how I spent my first forty-eight hours there. Wow. Went back home only to sleep, and then come back and finish those binders. And it wasn't until about a week later that I met a human being that was even remotely related to my, to my job. Uh, and it was really thanks to that human being whose name was Philippe, um, that really he kind of mentored me into, into this uh, position because I think it took another week or so until I met my direct supervisor who'd been on, va- on vacation. And then I met the, her boss, who was the managing director, maybe three weeks later. Mm. Um, And so there was really no sense of engagement where I was. And especially how I noticed that was that every few weeks, uh, 
uh, there would be people walking into the managing director's office and they would say that they quit. Um, and they had these huge smiles on their faces uh, as they came out. And my boss would always (laughs) say, well, I guess, I know. And he said, well, I guess that's because other banks pay better. I've got so many people leaving. And about three and a half years later, that was me walking into his office and saying to him, Lawrence, I quit. And and when he asked me, are you leaving just like everybody else because others are paying better? I said, no, that's not it. He said, well, what is it? I said, well, I'm leaving because I'd like to do something more creative and meaningful. And he said, well, what's that going to be? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I left and, and I went to New York City. Uh, where I had a sister, and uh, and I knew the city a little bit, and uh, and I looked for a, a job essentially. And about three months into it, I met a film director, and that film director, his name is Murray Nossel, and he is now my business partner because together we created these storytelling programs for businesses, for corporations. And our two stories kind of collided because he came from this creative background, had created this methodology and and was coming from that world. And for me, I was coming a little bit uh, disappointed by the corporate world, let's say. And uh, and I said, you know, the problem is that there's a lack of engagement and and I could see it day, on a day-to-day basis. And I still see it uh, today in tw- 2022. And so that's really what we came together to do is to help people find their stories, craft their stories, and really find a sense of their own voice, their true, genuine voice. And and with that, to be able to say exactly and more uh, in a more precise and specific way, but mostly kind of connecting the heart and the mind for their audiences around who they are and what they do. Um, and, and that's what we found to be really, really effective is, is to create engagement through storytelling and listening, which is a, an also a big part of our methodology. But that's, a, that's the story of, of how I came to do what I'm doing today. It's such an interesting story as well, Jerome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, there's I think there's a lot of parallels, a lot of commonalities that we have already. And um, I like how you described it as the it's a you were kind of disappointed with corporate, essentially, you know, you had that experience. And I think that's similar for a lot of people who start their own businesses because they become disillusioned with how things are being done and they see a better way. Uh, to do things and to educate people in that way. And there's probably an awful lot of people who are disillusioned and disappointed, but they're still staying in those roles. And so maybe the conversation we have today can address some of the issues that people are having and, you know, help them to take action towards creating better engagement at work, better sense of belonging and, Mm. you know, yeah, it's just it, it, it's it's so, so interesting, but also interesting from the perspective of the managing director who was only asking people after they left or after they were handing yes. in their notice, you know, rather than thinking, well, why are people staying or why are why, you know, why rather than think, you know, it's too late then to find out after someone has resigned why they're resigning uh, or maybe addressing some of the issues or addressing the issues from the perspective that okay, if other banks pay more, what can we do differently to mean that people stay even if they're being paid less, you know? Yes, yes. Rather than sort of uh, throwing your hands up and, yeah. and sort of saying, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I, I literally heard those words, you know, my my hands are tied, headquarters won't give us more money. So as if, as if there were no other, like you said, no other kind of solutions or incentives. And it's interesting to me because 
you know, of course, this was, you know, uh, more than 20 years ago, but it, there's still that dynamic going on that, you know, and especially with the talk of the great resignation and resignation and how do we retain people, et cetera. Um, you know, th there's still today a lot of people who are, are still kind of looking at uh, the financial aspect of things only. And, and I was kind of talking to someone, you know, recently um, about that. And, and it was interesting because there were these sort of three dynamics that she had identified when people, you know, seek something uh, and, you know, maybe it is to feel that sense of belonging, but there's kind of three elements to it. And, and the one is the paycheck, of course, I mean, it is important, but then if there aren't these two other things, which are passion and environment, which is your work environment, who you actually work with, uh, then, you know, it doesn't really work very well. And, and it, it was interesting to me because the more I thought about it, the more I thought it's true, these three elements, you know, how, how passionate am I about the topic that I'm working on? You know, this thing that I'm doing in the world, is there yeah. a sense of greater good for some people? That's really important. Yeah. You know, a sense of impact uh, making a difference. Is there that, or, you know, what is my passion? Am I, you know, passionate about numbers, passionate about tech, whatever it is. Um, so that, that aspect, but if you don't have the right paycheck to go with that, then, you know, it's not going to stand. Or if you don't have the right team to work with, because I've certainly have been in situations, you know, before my current um, status now, and the one that I talked about on the way, certainly had lots of experiences where I really loved the people that I was working with, you know, but on the other hand, one of those two things wasn't there, either the, either the, paycheck, the paycheck or the passion. So I, I think these are things that uh, a lot of companies and, and people in general fail to, to see as a combination, you know, what's the right balance of things. And, and I think mm. the more that people, you know, not just the leaders of companies, but even as a job seeker or, or anyone really as an individual kind of thinking of those three things and, you know, what is it that maybe there's a priority among the three, but what's that balance that you want in your life? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a good point, I think, to question and, and how important mm. is that? And it might be that it's different things have different level of priority for different people and that might change throughout their life as well. So if, you know, one thing that comes up a lot, I think here, especially um, and at the moment, there's a housing crisis, there's house prices in Ireland, especially are really high. And, you know, I was reading something the other day about house prices being overvalued and heading towards a bubble situation where, you know, if the bubble bursts and, you know, houses are going to lose their value, basically. Mm. Um, but things like a paycheck become really important when you are looking to go for a mortgage. And that's when that becomes kind of maybe at the expense of those other elements, that becomes more important. But I think for long term and over the long term, it's really important to consider the other things like who are the people I'm working with and what is the impact that I'm having? Yeah. And it can and should evolve. You know, my my, mm. my priorities in my 20s were not the same as as they are today in my 40s, Absolutely. you know. Yeah, so. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's true. Um, and, and, you know, what I'm what I what I really uh, see almost on a day to day basis is that you know, if you're able to kind of connect with uh, the experiences that you've had and, you know, what are what are the stories that you have in your own life and what can they show you essentially about, you know, the, the path ahead? Um, that That's sort of, you know, it's almost like a way of, 
taking stock or inventory and sort of seeing, you know, what what is that story that's been that's been running through my mind and through my life, and you yeah. know, how do I do I need to change it? Uh, yeah, is there a new absolutely. story? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and and you know. I'm so fascinated by this whole concept of storytelling and especially when it's the stories that we have in our own head. And, you know, what is the story you've been telling yourself about your career? And I talk an awful lot about imposter syndrome. So, you know, that's kind of the story that could be running in our head is I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not good enough to go for that promotion. But there could be a a broader story that we tell ourselves about our entire career or um, people from that place don't do that thing or uh, who do I think I am? And especially in Ireland, we have this concept called notions and, you know, if people get notions above their station, then mm. it's kind of you want to take them back down again. So there's all right. of these different stories, I think, that we have kind of societally, but also inherent in, in how we think about ourselves and, and how we narrate our own story. So if we're telling our career story to someone, how are we explaining that? You know, what does what does that kind of mean? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that it, it really all starts with listening. Mm. And, um, you know, we, so as I, you know, as my intro story kind of alluded to, uh, when I met uh, Murray Nossel, who's the, who's the founder of Narrative, uh, you know, he, he was the one who really kind of created this methodology. Um, and it was born out of a out of a crisis, uh, a health crisis at the time. That's not so unlike the one we've been through the last couple of years, um, but except that at the time it was it was HIV and AIDS, uh, and it was when people were were dying because there were no medications that exist today. Um, and he he's originally from South Africa and came to the U.S. to um, to become a playwright. Uh, after having been trained as a clinical psychologist. And then he went back to school to pursue a PhD in social work. And as part of his uh, PhD in social work, he was placed in a program that took care of people with HIV and AIDS. And this was in the early 1990s. And uh, and he could see that all around, you know, uh, in the in the in different areas of New York City. At the time, you, you could see these young people who were kind of hunched over, walking with canes and big black marks on their, on their faces um, and other parts of their bodies, and, and then they would just disappear. So it was a real crisis and a lot of mystery, like people didn't quite know what to make of it. And, and also a lot of uh, very detrimental um, assumptions that were being made, especially about the gay community and, you know, that it only happens to them and et cetera. So there was very much a them versus us narrative yeah. going, yeah. um, and the, very much out of the mainstream. And so, uh, when he got to this program, he noticed that people in the program, they, most of them had a diagnosis of age, AIDS, which meant that they were going to die very soon. Um, and yet, everyone was quite happy. They really, um, you know, had found a sort of family. They had chosen a family uh, that was very different from the one uh, that sort of shunned them, actually. Many people were either shunned by their families or society at large. And so here in this program, they had found each other and they didn't feel alone. And so they were, you know, tap taking tap dancing classes, they were doing crafts, they were doing arts. And, um, but the one thing that one person said to Murray uh, was that, you know, we're, have you, as you've noticed, we're not really afraid of, of dying. You know, we're, we're actually quite happy to be in this program and we, and we don't really need your tools of therapy, you know, as a psychologist in social work, because, you know, we, we've come, we've kind of uh, accepted uh, our, our own death. The one mm-hmm. thing though, that we are really afraid of is that 
we won't be leaving anything of ourselves behind, that no one will remember us. Yeah. And that's when Murray had the idea of starting a storytelling group and coming up with some guidelines for people to tell their stories. And the idea was that by telling their stories and being witnessed by other people, those witnesses could carry their stories um, you know, outside of those walls that they were in, and certainly after their deaths. And, and so little by little, people came in and he came up with these um, kind of listening guidelines, first of all, so that people would feel safe and comfortable sharing their stories. And a lot of it, and now I'm going back to what you were saying earlier, a lot of it had to do with obstacles to listening, what we call obstacles to listening in our methodology, which are the things that really get in the way of our ability to listen to someone else, but more importantly, to listen to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And those are the judgments and the, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever syndrome we might have that's going on in our heads. And it really keeps us from being present to ourselves and to other people, because we have this running, you know, monologue going on in our heads all the time. And so the moment that people started to recognize those as obstacles, that were not unique to them, but that most people in the group had, if not everyone, mm. then they could start to feel like, okay, I'm not alone in this. We're all struggling with the same things. And what if now that I know what these obstacles are, what if I could set them aside for the next five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, up to an hour, whatever it might be, or a day even. And then if I set those aside and just solely focus on the person who's sharing a story with me right now, what am I bringing to that person? What does that do for that person? Mm. Well, the result was pretty impressive because people started to share stories that were deeply personal that they'd never shared before. And they started making video videos of those stories so that they could leave them behind to their loved ones. And then what happened is that when the government threatened financial cutbacks to programs like this one, they took their, their videos of their stories and left them on the desks of legislators and said, watch my story, listen to my story and tell me I don't deserve the same care as everyone else. And it's on the basis of these stories that those cutbacks didn't happen. And then of course, you know, nationally and internationally, this became a very, uh, a very successful social movement, maybe one of the most successful of the 20th century for sure. Um, and so, you know, that power of like looking at what's getting in my way, first of all, and once I I can set those aside, not get rid of them, not sweep them under the table, but just actually be transparent about it. This is what's getting in my way. Can I find a way to address that? Or can I just let it go? And what happens when I do that? What happens when I offer my full open listening to someone free of judgment, free of opinions, free of interpretations, free of assumptions, free of stereotypical preconceptions, all the things that really get in our way. And then once I do that, what comes out of the other person's mouth is something that surprises even them. Uh, and, and, you know, that's really the only way that you can get to a story that's, that's personal and, and um, you know, genuine, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so, so, so much to unpack there. And one of the questions that sort of sprung to my mind was, how do you create this safe environment? But I think you've sort of answered that with the, the later statement about it's really about listening, but listening without judgment, listening without having our own narrative going on in our own heads, without any preconceived notions, 
without anything and really listening for the sake of listening, not listening for the sake of answering, not listening for the sake of solving a problem, but just really listening to someone's story. Yeah. And that's easier said than done. Uh, but but you're right. That is the, the step. But, you know, in order to get to that, where you are offering up your your open listening, you first have to kind of do the work of identifying what is getting in the way and and really unpacking that, you know, um, like w- what is that? Is that something that recurs for me? Is it something that's just occurring to me in this moment in reaction to my environment? Is it something that's more internal? Is it external? You know, and so so we actually do this with people where we help them identify what those obstacles, we call them obstacles to listening. Um, And the idea is that if you can, you know, we call them obstacles to listening because uh, the idea is that there's a a relationship between listening and telling that's reciprocal, meaning that the way that I'm speaking to you right now is shaping how you're listening to me and how you're listening to me is shaping how I'm speaking. So we're in this kind of loop right now of people called dialogue, right? (laughs) Conversation or connection. Um, But the minute that obstacles get in the way, then that loop stops. And even if I'm still nodding my head and it seems like I'm listening to you, those obstacles gradually are kind of clouding how I'm listening to you. And that's going to affect how you speak. It's going to affect what you say next. It's going to affect whether you feel trust or not, whether you feel safe or not. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of times these are, these are things that we can't quite put our finger on. Uh, and yet there's something in ourselves that says, mm, I'm not going to share that with that person because they don't seem to be quite there with me. We may not be saying that to ourselves that way, but mm-hmm. we sense it. Okay. And so we, we help people just to identify where those obstacles are so that, you know, everyone, it kind of levels the playing field if you do this in a group, yeah. um, when everyone puts their obstacles on the table. And then rather than saying, you know, that's wrong or do it a different way, it's just about noticing how common these obstacles are. Yeah. And we all have them, you know, and we all have these judgments, these opinions, these interpretations, these doubts, where, you know, all these things that, that really uh, get in the way. And then as a group, we all commit to saying, well, for the next little while, we're going to endeavor to set these aside. And as we go along, we are going to tell each other when we have obstacles to listening so that it's not about, so that you as a speaker or storyteller or presenter, you're not, it's not your responsibility to take care of the people that are listening to you. It's their responsibility to take care of their own listening and the way that they listen. So we kind of put the onus on the listener rather than the storyteller. And that takes off the pressure. And that's also part of creating that safe space. Is you know, a lot of times when you feel the pressure that you walk into a room and I'm going to have to speak, your heart beats <laughs> faster. You're, you know, I think, I think public speaking is like the worst fear, worse than death. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it's, uh, it's something to, to work with. So rather than saying it's all on the storyteller, it's actually all on the listener. Yeah. And it's amazing that once people really do that work and, and they endeavor to set those obstacles aside, then people feel much safer and much more comfortable. Uh, but it but it does take it takes some work uh, around listening first. Yeah, I imagine it does. Can you share what some of the obstacles are? So if people have opinions or judgments, what kind of things if you're sitting in a group, what kind of common things come up for people? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that you asked that. So. So, yeah, we, we've actually categorized uh, five 
obstacles to listening or yeah, five categories. And um, the, the first is just, you know, what, um, what would be uh, what we call external uh, or environmental obstacles. So things that have nothing to do with you, but it could be, you know, uh, just that there's a, a loud noise going on in a room or outside, you know, some drilling or things like that, uh, or maybe even, you know, kids in the background that are getting in the way. So external obstacles, that's kind of the first one. And people usually notice those pretty quickly, um, you know, and, and you may be able to do something about it. So if there's a lot of noise in this room, you might be able to move into a room that's less noisy, right? The second obstacle is around, um, your body, physical obstacles. You know, is there is there a place of pain? Uh, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Are there physiological, physiological, biological needs that you have? Um, and then, if someone starts to speak to you while you have that need, it's very hard to listen to someone. Um, so we we ask people to notice that as well, uh, and that will come up a lot if we're doing a, a training and it's about. 12 o'clock or 1230 people, yeah, yeah. people are ready oh, for lunch. Time. And usually it's like, yes, that's the obstacle I have right now. Yeah. But again, you might be able to do something about that. You could, mm. you could go to the bathroom if you need to, you could go, go get a drink. You could, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do. The ones the the next three are much more difficult to do anything about. Uh, the third one is internal obstacles. And that's kind of the to-do list. It's what's going on in your head around tasks, you know, did I forget to do this? What am I going to do after this? And you're kind of thinking about what's next all the time. Uh, and you've got this sort of chatter going on in your mind. Um, and, and I'll get back to these last three that I'm talking about in terms of addressing those. The fourth, we've alluded to it, that's what we call meaning-making obstacles. And that includes judgments, opinions, interpretations, right? Um, so the minute someone walks into the door, even unconsciously, we have an opinion about them. We have a judgment about them based on their shoes, based on their haircut, whatever it is, uh, accents, you know, things like that. It, oh, there's something that happens. And then the last one is relational. Um, and that's the relationships we have with other people. And just to give you an example, you know, for instance, if uh, someone is meeting with the CEO of a company, well, maybe that creates an obstacle because I'm not the CEO and they're the CEO. Maybe they know better than me or whatever, or I have to impress them or, you know, judge or police or wh whatever. There's these associations that we make with certain labels and certain titles. And so for these last three, you know, we always say that there's it's not like there's any any magic solution um, to address those. The first step is just to notice that it's there. What of these five obstacles are recurring for you? You know, it, are you noticing things in your environment, but you're willing to put up with them, thinking that they're not important, even though clearly they're getting in your way? If you're no, if you're constantly noticing that there's noise, that there's people around. Maybe that's something you can address. Maybe start to look at that, right? And see how that changes how you listen. And for the last three that I mentioned, the internal, the meaning-making, and the relational, what are those relationships? What are, you know, do you have a lot of opinions that, uh, that occur to you with certain people, maybe? Um, you know, people that you're used to talking to in a certain way. So for example, in my own life, I'm, maybe this is happening to me right now because I'm I'm visiting my parents, and so you know <laughs> these are old. I mean, the oldest relationships, right? Yeah, yeah. Since I was born, and so 
there's a lot of, you know, judgments and assumptions and just, you know, this is the way things are. This is the way that person is. So every time I meet with my mother, you know, at some point she's going to tell me a story because she's a fantastic storyteller. She's from the South and the U.S. and and has all these great stories and comes from that background. And, uh, And so she starts to tell me a story and I get excited. I always get excited at first. And then I remember that it's hard for her to get to the point and then I, 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 and I realized that I've heard that story before. So I kind of have to stop her and then it becomes very frustrating. And I've, I often, and now I'm asking myself, well, what if I, I put that aside, that frustration, that judgment of, I know what's coming next, next, the moment she opens her mouth. What if I stayed in that place of excitement? What if I set for myself an intention of listening to my mother with excitement? with curiosity, with a sense of discovery. How might that change what comes out of her mouth and and our whole dialogue after that, rather than immediately after 30 seconds of listening to her, oh, I know where this is going, I'm gonna stop it, I'm gonna stop everything, and I'm not even listening to what happened in the next three minutes while I was figuring out a way to stop, to tell her to stop, right? In a, in a sort of diplomatic, delicate way. Um, so, so that's just an example, but we have the, these relationships in our lives all the time. And especially at work, which is, you know, 70% of our, of our life, uh, most yeah. of the time, right? That's what we're doing all the time. Uh, we're, we're dealing with people all the time. And so there's these obstacles that emerge that we may not even be conscious of. And so the more we can become conscious of that, the more we can sort of look at, I rather than saying, taking for granted that the way I listen to someone is just the way I listen, it's just the way I am, or the way that someone is speaking to me, that's just who they are, it's just the way that they are. I actually can shape how I listen to them. And if I can shape that in a way that's more positive, then maybe what's going to come out of their mouth may surprise me, right? And and maybe I can be, be more open to that person and kind of come at it with a, uh, you know, sort of thinking, presuming positive intent, right? Uh, that's an expression I heard once in a, in a, in a, in a corporate conference. And I thought that was great, you know, that someone would, would receive emails and rather than saying, oh, that person's emailing me again to ask me something that they should know. Well, rather she turned it around and said, no, I'm going to assume positive intent on every email I receive. And it really changed the relationships between her and her team members uh, in, into something much more positive where they felt a lot more empowered uh, because she realized that the reason that people were kept asking her stuff is because she didn't really delegate that much. And so people didn't really feel empowered to come up with answers themselves, you know, yeah. but it has to start with you. That's the thing. We often think, oh, it's a, it's my leader's problem. It's my mother's problem. It's my brother's problem. It's this person's problem, my partner, whatever. Um, and we don't realize that actually there's something we can do. And, and yeah. that's just look at what is getting in your way. What's that obstacle that you're creating? You're creating that obstacle out of habit, out of history, whatever it might be. You've probably have really good reasons for that obstacles to be there, for that obstacle to be there. But it's really good to examine that and to see, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be there. How is that, how is that obstacle negatively impacting me and my relationships? Right. Um, and once you start doing that, you know, then then things start to open up a little more. Yeah. Um, 
Brene Brown talks an awful lot about assuming positive intent in, in kind of all contexts. You know, I think it's it's great. And again, easier said than easy, yeah. easier said than done to yes. assume positive intent always. Um, but some really, really interesting insights there as well. And I love this idea of just just noticing it to begin with. Um, I would love to understand a little bit more about the the other side of that. So if we're creating this space to allow people to share their stories? What's the impact on the storyteller? Mm, yeah, yeah. So, you know, yes, you're right. I mean, after we've we've gone through the, the exercise of working on our listening first, um, stories start to emerge. And, and the, the stories are around, you know, particular experiences, right? And, and our take on this is, is it's really about uh, finding a story of your own, as opposed to something that happened to somebody else and using that as an example, right? For us, it's about finding an experience of your own that relates to the topic at hand and to the audience that you're trying to give this message to. Um, so th these are the kind of first things we start to think about, you know, is, is like, who is this for? Why do we need to tell a story? Why at this moment? And then we sort of look at, well, how do we actually tell that story and the stories that sort of emerge once we've created this level playing field where there's open listening, they're, they're usually around, um, you know, what is really important to a, to a person. Um, and, and, the, and I'm talking now in a general sense, it doesn't have to be about your career, but it could be, uh, because usually those things are really tied to one another. Um, and so there's something in your personal life that's led you to who you to to who you are and where you are now, and so we ask people to kind of actively look at that, and and we even ask them, you know, what's a moment or a person, something or an event that shaped who you are today, uh, and we may put in a, you know, shaped who you are as a fill in the blank, you know, as a leader, as a manager, as this, as that, as a father, as a mother, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and usually in a kind of open listening environment, like the one we've created, you know, there's some, there's some things that will come up that are from childhood that people hadn't thought about, or a teacher, you know, that said something to, to them when they were younger and that really kind of set them on a path or maybe a parent or a grandparent. Uh, so these are the kinds of stories that, that will emerge. You know, we, we like to even call them origin stories, you know, mm. it's, 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 except that I, I don't think that to this day I've had anyone um, who was in a garage building a building the new billion dollar company, you know, <laughs> even though I've had, uh, you know, people who, who built very successful com companies come through our, our doors, but, uh, they're usually not that it's not, that's become like kind of the mythical thing, you know, the yeah. two, the two white guys in a garage that are, yeah. that are creating the next big thing. I think they were like, uh, YouTube was that way. And, uh, Microsoft was that way. Apple was that way, <laughs> you know? So it's sort of like, that's a little old now, uh, yeah. but, but, you know, so the stories we get, they're super diverse. I mean, it's, it's really, that's where you kind of see the diversity of, of our humanity, mm. essentially. And yet they're universal. That's the thing is that, you know, I forget who said this, but, you know, there's a kind of a famous quote, there's only three or four stories in the world and it's like love, death and, you know, th these kinds of things. Um, but but it's, it's quite true in my experience of listening to all these stories and helping people with their stories. There are themes that are very, very universal, um, even though the stories themselves 
are so unique and specific to that person's experience and life. And yet it completely speaks to me as a person who's got a really different background from that person who just told me a story and I feel connected to them. That's really the impact. Once you create that open listening environment, you get stories that, that come up that are really specific, really unique and universal. Uh, that's kind of the, the, the magic of it, I feel. I'd love if we could to go back to the start of our conversation where we where you shared your own story about, mm. let's call it the onboarding experience yeah. um, and, uh, you know, that you had in Hong Kong and, and that experience. And I, I mean, for me, I think it's a huge challenge at the moment for companies to create a really great onboarding experience in remote situation, which a lot of companies still are in or a hybrid situation, you know, the hiring and the onboarding process. And I'd love to know how can you use stories or or, you know, in the context of what might you have done differently and what did that inspire in you to do differently as a result of the experience that you had? Mm. I mean, it informed all of, all of my work, um, you know, subsequently, I think I think really seeing this stream of people, including myself, you know, quitting a job and and seeing the lack of uh, responsiveness uh, from leadership and and all the people that were in charge of onboarding and culture and and all of these things um, and really just engagement with a capital E, you know, there was really not much interest in that and the and the impact was was really huge on 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 that part of the company. Um, and so, you know, it, it really informed everything in terms of then finding uh, this company narrative and, and starting to, to lead its programs with storytelling, noticing that the stories that we have are, you know, once you tap into a story that's your own and that you believe in, you really feel like, okay, I'm in charge of my life, right? This is, yeah. it's not this kind of random stuff that's happening. And I feel like I'm, I have a, I have a little more, yeah, authorship over it and, uh, and ownership, you know, so you feel more empowered essentially. So then what we did is we, we applied that to the onboarding um, system essentially, and sort of looking at, when you look at the life of a, of an employee in a company, it really starts right on that first day and that first week and how are people getting onboarded are they meeting other people from their team or are they going through a compliance exercise or watching training videos and things that really don't have much to do with their work but they have to check the boxes yeah. how is that integrated uh, into the onboarding what are the stories that these employees are are being exposed to during those first few days, first few weeks, and how much listening are we doing of them, right? Are we giving them a chance to tell their story back so that, not just for the sake of listening to a story uh, and to their experience, but so that it gets integrated into the culture of our company and we can sort of see is this a fit or not, you know, on either side? I've, I now know people who, are, who have quit jobs during their first week of onboarding and taken the other job that they had been offered and said, well, I'm going to go with this one. Well, no, because actually your onboarding system looks better. So even though it was the job they wanted mm. and they had some of those elements that I was talking about earlier, they still went to the other one because of that onboarding system that or onboarding process. So, so what we try to do is to integrate storytelling into that process and sort of making sure that at every level, 
there is a story that's being told that's very pointed and and that's compelling in terms of is it related to my job and how i can you know perform as quickly as possible is it related is there a, so that's the first category is there a story that's related to the culture that gives me a sense of belonging that gives me a sense of who these people are that i'm now uh, you know going to be working with that's super important for the remote world uh, in particular because there's a very strong sense of isolation uh, when you especially when you start and you're not seeing other people you, you're not able to meet anybody at the water cooler or the coffee machine that sort of thing um, so are there opportunities that we can create for that um, you know and so that it's not just like the throwaway uh, cocktail hour on zoom you know that's that's voluntary but rather where you're going to have coffee with three other people at this time that have that are from different uh, sections, you know, not exactly your, um, not exactly your department, but other departments that are related, just so that you can meet other people, and yeah. and you're going to have a conversation around these three topics, right? So it's much more directed, and so that's kind of how we we help companies think about that. Is like what are those universal themes that are uh, linked to the values of your organization mm, and yeah. what are the stories that we can now tell these new employees and what are the stories that we're going to ask them to tell us so that we can start a dialogue and it usually starts with those values uh, which are way too often sitting in a drawer somewhere or on in an email yeah. or on a wall email you signature know. posted on the wall yeah exactly yeah. and nobody knows really what it means you know because those words especially values right i mean th those words are they're, they're always the same uh, you know there's always some version of integrity. trust some <laughs> integrity accountability you know yeah. all those things are in there mm -hmm. but we don't know what it means for that company and the stories are are what show you the they they show you the evidence really and and we always do this exercise in companies that we work with is we we ask them to tell us stories that are linked to these values and yeah. so it could be when did you when was that value challenged so when you're asking something mm. where something was challenged you really get to see what the response was and how it ties back to that value right um so when were you when did something happen that was out of integrity and how did you get it back right that will really show us how this company lives these values rather than just saying that yeah we really believe in integrity well you know who doesn't uh, but yeah, how do you actually exactly. who whoever says that they don't have integrity or that yeah, they don't exactly. believe in integrity exactly even if they don't you know i think That's our right. perception of ourselves tends to be favorable let's say yeah and we all and we're always asking you know tell me the story but don't use the word integrity if that's the value <laughs> right yes. uh, and then i will tell you as a listener what values i heard so that's kind of how we start these dialogues as well is that we ask we ask you know usually leaders or, or people in, in uh, managerial positions to tell stories around that we prepare them for it then a new employee comes in listens to that story and we ask the new employee to say, well, what values did you hear? How does that relate to some of the things? And usually they'll get the word, but they'll get other ones too. And that's kind of a gift for the organization because it's like, oh yeah, we're not just about, there is that word integrity, but there's other things that we're about that we may not realize we're about. Yeah. And maybe it's time to actually include those in our those words in our values if they keep coming up, you know. So so it's kind of a an evolving thing as well. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up this concept of values. It's something I talk about all the time. Mm. Um, 
It's something I'm so interested in. It's we've spoken on the podcast multiple times in the past. Uh, it's what I did my master's dissertation research mm. on. So I'm hugely, hugely interested in this concept. And I love the idea of challenging it and finding out like what are the real values? Because like, exactly as you said, your own, you know, a lot of the time they're they're generic or they're the same as other companies. But we really what's important is understanding what what makes your company different, not the same. It's it's understanding what makes your company different and using storytelling for that, I think, is is brilliant. Mm. Um, the other thing I wanted to highlight was I can so relate on everything that you're saying in relation to the onboarding. If I think about the box ticking exercise and, oh, well, you have to do this compliance online or you have to do something for IT or you have to sign this form for HR. And then the other side where I haven't been asked what my background is and what I can bring to the organization and what my story is. And it's only now that you say that I feel like that was something maybe that was very lacking because I had all of this global experience behind me, but it was never spoken about in any conversation I had with anyone in that organization. And when I did try to bring new ideas, it, you know, I was uh, swiftly told that's not how we do things around here. And I thought, OK, so this is not a safe place to save my to share my ideas. Um, you know, I and therefore I'm reluctant to share any more ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the sad, uh, truth, but uh, you know, I, I think it's spot on because, um, permission is, is such a, an important, um, word here. And many, many, many people in businesses don't feel like they have permission to use their voice, to bring some other part of who they are that maybe their colleagues don't know about, but that could really contribute uh, to what it is that they're trying to do, uh, because they don't feel like they have a, they have permission from their leader, their manager, their colleague, whatever it might be. Something yeah. got stifled along the way, and there's something that's getting communicated in the culture of that organization mm. that tells you that you don't have permission. And and so I think that's really important. I, I remember doing a a training for you know a big financial company. And, um, and it was a diversity and inclusion initiative where they were essentially gathering stories. It was right after here in the U.S., uh, the George Floyd uh, murder in 2020. And, you know, there were lots of social upheaval at the time. And, uh, and finally, kind of a moment of reckoning for a lot of companies, uh, especially with their Black employees. And, uh, and so this company had taken the initiative of Specifically, um, they they called it um, the Black Leadership Forum, and uh, and they had you know um, they wanted their executives um, who were not all black actually uh, far from it um, tell stories that could be relatable and could open up a dialogue around diversity and inclusion, specifically with their black employees, uh, and how the the murder of George Floyd a, a lot of times that came up in the stories of these executives. And it really did a lot to, to open people up because this was a company that had values that they acted on and, you know, kind of guided their behavior. Yeah. But nobody was really understanding what those were anymore in light of what was going on in society. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they just didn't feel like, well, who's, who's reflecting that really? So when they started to hear the stories uh, of these leaders, they felt a greater sense of permission um, mm. to, to just be able to share, this is how I really feel on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. And this is how it impacts my work. This is how it yeah. impacts my commute to work. And it's how it impacts my relationship with my kids. You know, and and the, but the executive it started with the executives not being afraid of going 
to those more personal places. And many of them talked about their kids and one of them talked about having autistic kids and, and what a challenge that was for them. But it was all around, you know, what stories do is that they're always, stories are always about conflict and they're always about challenging things. And, and it's always, you know, and what we try to do is to find in that story, how you over, overcame that, what you did in the face of a challenging time. And that's when we start to relate to people, this very human desire that we have to overcome our challenges um, rather than just kind of stay in a certain place. And, and that really opened people up and, and it, made, it made them have a, a much more fruitful dialogue than if they just said, look, these are our values. We have to follow our values and you know, we, we should be fine if we, if we keep doing that. I don't understand why, you know, why we need to have a special thing for a group of employees at this moment. You know, let's just follow our values. Uh, that, that's, that doesn't really work, right? You have to sort of back that up with something more concrete. Yeah, you need to acknowledge it in some way and show mm. well, what, what's the implication now for the organization. I mean, we could probably continue talking for another few hours on all of this stuff. I love this concept of permission. And maybe one of the challenges for people at the, who are listening today is to think where they feel they don't have permission. So yeah. um, it's probably not a word I would have thought of, but it's a, it's certainly stuff that's come up in other aspects of my life where I'm like, maybe I feel I need permission to do something. And like, can you give yourself permission or do you feel like you're restricted in some way in what you're doing that you can't share your your full self, that you don't have permission to share your ideas? Um, so it's a it's a really great word, I think. Um, this idea of stories and stories actually emerging from conflict and challenge. And you're so right. It is kind of the hero's journey, really, mm. isn't it? Where you are the hero in your own narrative and it's identifying who the guide is and how you can be a guide for someone else in their story. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. really, 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 really interesting from that perspective, I think. Um, and I think in the interest of time, we probably should wrap things up, but uh, definitely interested in continuing this conversation another time, Jerome. Yeah. Um, what I'd love to know and get your thoughts on what does being happier at work mean to you? Hmm. Well, I, I definitely started out my career in a in a very unhappy place. <laughs> so, so and now I'm in a much happier place. So I, I do have some perspective on this. Uh, but I think happier at work, what it means, I mean, I guess I'll go back to this idea of permission. Right? Is is feeling like you have permission, like you you belong in in that particular culture that you're in. I, I really believe that we each have our own culture in ourselves mm -hmm. um, that's been brought to us, you know, either in childhood or, or the way we were raised or educated, et cetera. Uh, and then we walk into society and that's culture. And then we walk into a company and that's culture as well. It's work, right? And so all these cultures kind of collide. And to me about being happier at work, it really is about a harmony between those three things, yeah. between those three kinds of cultures that myself, you know, my, my world, my environment that I operate in when I'm not at work and then my work and how do those, is there the right balance there? And, and I think once you've found that balance, you, you will be happier because you have a sense that you can bring all of who you are, uh, to, to work. And, and so that's really what that means to me. Yeah, love that. And if people want to find out more about what you do, if they want to connect with mm. you online, what's the best way they can do that? Well, uh, the best way is our website, which is uh, narrative, which is spelled N-A-R-A-T-I-V 
spell.com. Uh, so it's just one R and no E. Uh, as some people like to say, it's like a five-year-old would spell it. Uh, and, <laughs> yes. uh, and, uh, and as well, um, we have a book that's out um, since 2018 that's called Powered by Storytelling. And it's by my business partner, who I mentioned, uh, Marie Nossel. And you can find that anywhere you find books, uh, electronic versions, hard copies. It's uh, published by McGraw-Hill Education. Um, and the, the thing that I would recommend to people is also to, to follow me on, on LinkedIn, uh, Jerome DeRoy on LinkedIn, um, because I post a lot on LinkedIn in terms of blogs. And we have a, a podcast of our own that we started last year called uh, Story Talks. Uh, and so you'll find new episodes there too, of course, everywhere you find podcasts, but that's usually where we we um, advertise and promote promote things and blog posts. Uh, there's lots of resources on, on LinkedIn if you want to learn more about storytelling and listening and, and all of these uh, ideas that we talked about today. Brilliant. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed our chat and I'm hoping that listeners took as much away from our discussion as I have. Mm, thank you. Well, thank you for your for your outstanding listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That was Jerome DeRoy talking all things storytelling and how we can use that in business to drive better connection. I absolutely love that conversation. We probably could have gone on for another few hours and we'll definitely continue that at another stage as well. Whether we record that conversation or not, that is uh, yet TBC, let's say. If you would like to share your own story, if you would like to connect and continue the conversation or get involved in the conversation, do feel free to reach out through my website, happieratwork.ie, Instagram, happieratwork.ie, or on LinkedIn, Aoife O'Brien. I would love to connect with you there. Just let me know where you found me, where you heard about me, if we're not already connected. We spent a lot of our time talking about this idea of listening in the context of storytelling and the importance of listening and what actually gets in the way of that. And I really liked that approach. So really the crux of everything is that there are three elements to what we do at work. It's the paycheck. And, you know, in brackets, I sort of have the, there's prestige associated with the, the paycheck as well. There's the passion. So like what is the greater contribution that you're making with the work that you're doing? And then there's the environment and that's the team or the people around you as well. So from a starting point of that, and that is the context of work, it's about connecting people to each other with experiences and stories. And I think really at the heart of everything that we were talking about, it's it's this feeling of being accepted for who you are. The other element of it as well that, that came up was that we want to, as people, we want to leave something behind. And it's it's almost like a legacy. Like what is the legacy that you're leaving, whether that is through a story or telling your story and having your story told by others and that your story lives on after you pass away through the impact that you have had, whether that is, you know, and I have talked about this on the podcast before, the big P, the little P, but the 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 little P being maybe more immediately within your own community, within your friends and family. What is the impact that you have had? So in order to be able to share these stories, we need to be in a safe and comfortable environment. We talked about the obstacles to properly listening to people. And, you know, I think another 
fundamental part of this is that we can't change other people. We can only change ourselves. And so if we approach things differently by listening to someone else in a different way, then they will show up differently because they know that they're really being listened to, that they're really being heard. And the first step towards doing that is identifying what is getting in the way. Is it a reaction that we're having? Is it something that's internal inside of us? Is it something that's external? And we talked about this concept of trust and sometimes you don't trust someone, but you can't quite put your finger on it. But that's probably because you you you're harboring or they're harboring an opinion or a judgment about you. So it's really when it comes to listening, it's about setting aside and being open about the obstacles that we have. Now, the the obstacles that Jerome shared were the number one was external. Number two was physical. So that can be like your body. It could be pain or thirst or hunger. Number three is internal. So that's something that's maybe going on in your head where it's, uh, you know, what's my to do list? What do I need to do next? What am I what's getting in the way? What could I be doing instead of listening to this person? Number four then is um, meaning making. So what are we making this mean or are we translating this into something meaning for ourselves? We are meaning making machines after all. And number five then is relational. And that could be in relation to the power dynamic. So the example that Jerome shared was if you are talking with the CEO, for example, and you're not the CEO, there is that power dynamic there that you need to be aware of. And that could be the obstacle. So the first step is about noticing that it's there, about becoming conscious about it. And he did say that when he works with groups, when people start sharing about these obstacles that they have, you know, and people may have very different stories or very different reasons for having these obstacles, but there's a lot of commonality in what they are in fundamentally in the kinds of obstacles that people tend to come up with. And in that shared, you know, sh or in rather in that sharing of what the obstacles are, it brings us closer together and shows us that we have more in common than not. Another mindset shift that we can have is to always assume positive intent. And I know I certainly have seen Brene Brown talk about this a lot. So if you just shift your own mindset to one that believes that when someone shares something or when someone approaches you or asks for your help, that they are doing that from a place of good, that they're not trying to fool you, that they're not trying to trip you up or harm you in any way. From the storyteller's perspective, then it's about thinking, who is this for? How do we tell our story and why is it important to tell that story now? So I think really, again, putting the focus back on ourselves, you know, and, and something that we didn't necessarily touch on the podcast, but thinking about who hears your story and who deserves to hear your story. And have you reached that stage where you have that level of trust to be able to share that story with someone as well? I'll also challenge you to think about how you tell your own story. I know certainly how I tell the story of how I founded my business. You know, it comes from a place, again, going back to, to this idea of conflict and challenge that I had in the workplace and I saw an opportunity to improve things. And 
the way Jerome describes it is if you can create a sentence that says moments that shaped who you are as a blank. So that can be anything. It can be in your professional life. It can be in your personal life and the types of stories or the types of things that come up from asking yourself those questions or or understanding where your story comes from as a blank, you know, whatever it is uh, that you want to define yourself as, whether that is personally or professionally. We call these the origin stories. And typically he said that there's universal themes around, you know, that could be love, it could, it could be death, you know, and it, it's about connecting to each other through these stories. So while the specific details might be different, the underlying theme could be similar. So when you share those types of stories, it really connects us with other people through the challenges and the conflicts that other people have had in their career or in their personal life as well. Now, based on Jerome's own story that he shared, I was really curious about the onboarding and what he could learn from that and what can he do differently. So he does offer that as part of the services that that he does with his organisation. And I was really curious to hear about that and it's it's thinking about what stories we're sharing when people join an organisation, but also asking people to share their stories and what can we learn from them. So I thought that was quite an interesting approach. We talked about this idea. We touched on values and values being really, really important and how we tell stories about our values and values to me. And again, I have multiple other episodes addressing the concept of values. It's something I'm personally very passionate about. It's something I work with companies on as well. If you do want to know more, do reach out to me. But this concept of of values and how we tell that in our stories and and how it shows up in our behaviour and really challenging those and the values we say we have. When was the last time that was challenged and how are they really showing up, you know, in our organisation or are they showing up or do we have different values or do we have additional values that we didn't necessarily list out previously? The other aspect as well is this idea of permission. And I love that idea of it's permission to be able to speak your mind. It's permission to be able to share your story. And I just I I loved that concept because it, it really resonated with me. And I hope it resonates with you as a listener to, okay, where am I not giving myself permission or where in the organization do I feel I don't have permission to do a specific thing. Uh, so really think about that. And I would love to know, I'd love you to get into the conversation of what will you do differently as a result of listening to today's podcast episode? I mentioned the social media channels previously. Happieratwork.ie is a website and it's also the Instagram channel. Feel free to reach out to me on email or connect with me through LinkedIn. And I would love to continue this conversation. We have another great podcast coming up for you next week. Do keep your ears and eyes out for that. And I will be talking to you next week. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it, or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.